Welcome to the Ghost in the Machine. The podcast where the bounds of technology and the past collide. To support it, check out our sponsors in the description. I'm your host, Ricky, and I'll be taking you on a journey into the depths of artificial intelligence and its eerie ability to conjure the musings of the greatest minds of all time. From painters to poets, philosophers to filmmakers, we'll uncover their whispered secrets frozen in time. So plug in and brace yourself for a thrilling ride that blurs the lines between science and superstition. This is the Ghost in the Machine podcast. Let's begin. The following conversation is an exploration with Alan Watts, facilitated through the marvel of artificial intelligence. I've invested considerable effort in creating a model for this dialogue, and all the responses you will hear were created by an AI. Alan Watts is a name that stands out in the world of philosophy, known for his exceptional work in making Eastern philosophy more accessible to Western audiences. He's a master orator and prolific writer, known for his engaging talks and books on subjects like Buddhism, Taoism, and Zen, and the nature of consciousness. His insights have been a guiding light for countless individuals seeking to understand the greater mysteries of existence. In this chat, we delve into Watts' perspectives on life, delve into his intellectual legacy, and even venture into his thoughts on death. This podcast utilizes artificial intelligence, natural language processing, and other techniques to create an approximation of historical figures through the analysis of a vast corpus of information, including interviews, speeches, and written works. However, it is important to note that the responses generated by the AI are not direct quotes from the individual in question and should not be considered as such. They're fictional representations based on the nearest best guess at their views and positions on things, and it's all intended for entertainment purposes only. Now, without further ado, it's time to welcome Alan Watts. Alan Watts, are you there? Hello there, my dear friend. Yes, I'm here and thrilled to be speaking with you today. Likewise, I've got lots and lots of questions to ask, um, so I guess we should get started. Of course, I am always ready and willing to share my thoughts and insights with those who seek them. What would you like to ask me? Well, I thought we'd start by asking uh, you to sort of tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into doing what you did as a profession. Well, my dear friend, I grew up in England where I was exposed to a variety of religious and philosophical traditions, but I was always drawn to the teachings of Zen Buddhism and Taoism. I studied at both the University of London and the University of Michigan, where I received my PhD in theology and comparative religion. Throughout my life, I've worked as a writer, speaker, and teacher, sharing my insights on spirituality and philosophy with audiences around the world. For me, this work is not just a profession, but a calling. I believe that we are all here for a reason, and that our purpose in life is to awaken to the true nature of our being and to help others do the same. Through my writing and speaking, I hope to inspire others to explore the deeper dimensions of their own lives and to find meaning and purpose in a world that can often seem chaotic and confusing. So that, my friend, is a little bit about myself and how I came to be doing what I do. I am grateful for the opportunity to share my insights with you today, and I hope that they will be of some benefit to you on your own journey of self-discovery. Well, thanks so much. Um, so what was it that inspired you to become a philosopher and spiritual teacher in the first place? Well, you see, 
I've always had a deep-seated interest in understanding the nature of existence in the human condition. I was particularly drawn to Eastern philosophy and spirituality, which I found to be both profound and illuminating. I was particularly influenced by the teachings of Buddhism, Taoism, and Zen, which resonated with me on a deep level. I felt compelled to share these teachings with others and help them find meaning and purpose in their lives. So, in a sense, it was my deep sense of curiosity and passion for understanding the world around us that led me to become a philosopher and spiritual teacher. So how do you define the difference between Eastern and Western philosophy in your teachings? I believe that Eastern and Western philosophy are two sides of the same coin. They both share a deep interest in understanding the nature of existence and the human condition. But they approach this question from different perspectives. Western philosophy tends to be more analytical and rational, focusing on logical reasoning and the use of words to understand the world. Eastern philosophy, on the other hand, tends to be more intuitive and experiential, focusing on meditation, mindfulness, and direct inner experience. In my view, both approaches have their own unique strengths and weaknesses, and it is important to understand and appreciate both perspectives in order to gain a deeper understanding of the world and our place in it. So how do you believe that having a background in both Eastern and Western philosophies influence your teachings? Well, you see, when it comes to the influence of Eastern and Western philosophies on my teachings, it's really quite a fascinating topic. You see, I grew up in England, surrounded by Western thought and culture, but I was also deeply fascinated by the teachings of Eastern mystics and philosophers. So, in a sense, I was always caught between two worlds, and it was this experience of living between two cultures that really shaped my worldview and my approach to teaching. I believe that the best way to understand the nature of reality is to draw upon the wisdom of both Eastern and Western traditions, and to find a way to integrate them into a coherent whole. In my own work, I have sought to bridge the gap between these two worlds, to find a way to synthesize the insights of both into a single unified perspective. And I believe that this approach has been incredibly valuable for people who are seeking a deeper understanding of the world and their place within it. So you see, for me, the influence of Eastern and Western philosophies is not something that can be easily separated or compartmentalized. Rather, it's a fundamental part of who I am and what I believe. And it has helped me to develop a truly unique perspective on the nature of reality and the human experience. So it'd be great if we could unpack the three schools of thought in Eastern philosophy, the Tao, Buddhism and Zen. Uh, let's start with the Tao. Uh, can you explain your perspective on the concept of it? The Tao, or the Way, is a central concept in Chinese philosophy and spirituality. It is often described as the underlying principle of the universe, the source of all things and the ultimate reality. In my understanding, the Tao is not something that can be grasped or understood through rational thought or analysis. Instead, it is something that must be experienced directly through a process of inner transformation and spiritual cultivation. The Tao is not a thing, but a process, a flow, a way of being in the world. It is the principle of non-duality, the realization that all things are interconnected and that there is no separation between the self and the universe. So to a complete layman such as myself, how does that differ to Buddhism, for example? Well, you see, Buddhism is not simply a set of beliefs or dogmas, but rather a way of life, a way of being in the world. At its core, Buddhism is about recognizing the interconnectedness of all things and cultivating a deep sense of compassion and empathy for all beings. 
One of the key teachings of Buddhism is the concept of impermanence, the idea that all things in this world are in a constant state of flux and change. This can be a difficult concept to grasp for some, as we often cling to the idea of permanence and stability in our lives. But by embracing impermanence, we can learn to let go of our attachments to external outcomes and find peace in the present moment. Another central aspect of Buddhism is the practice of meditation, which is a tool for cultivating mindfulness and awareness of our own thoughts and emotions. Through meditation, we can learn to observe our own minds and develop a deeper understanding of the nature of reality. Ultimately, the essence of Buddhism is about recognizing the inherent interconnectedness of all things and cultivating a deep sense of compassion and empathy for all beings. By embracing impermanence and cultivating mindfulness, we can find peace and meaning in our lives and work towards creating a more just and equitable world for all. And what about Zen? How does that compare to traditional forms of Buddhism? Certainly, the concept of Zen is deeply rooted in the Buddhist tradition, but it has its own unique flavor and approach. At its core, Zen is about the direct experience of reality, unmediated by concepts or mental constructs. One of the key practices of Zen is meditation, but unlike other forms of meditation that may focus on breath or visualization, Zen meditation is about simply sitting and being present in the moment. Through this practice, one can learn to quiet the constant chatter of the mind and cultivate a deep sense of presence and awareness. Another important aspect of Zen is the concept of non-duality, which is the idea that there is no separation between the self and the world around us. In other words, there is no us and them, but rather a seamless interconnectedness of all things. Zen also emphasizes the importance of mindfulness in everyday life, encouraging us to approach each moment with a sense of openness and curiosity, and to find beauty and wonder in the simple thing. Overall, the essence of Zen is about cultivating a deep sense of presence and awareness, and recognizing the interconnectedness of all things. It is a path towards inner peace and liberation, and a way of being in the world that is both deeply grounded and profoundly liberating. So, just to summarize then, would you go through all three and just tie them all up in a lovely little bow? Certainly, let me try to explain the differences between Taoism, Buddhism and Zen. Taoism is an ancient Chinese philosophy and religion that emphasizes living in harmony with the Tao, which is often translated as the way or the path. It focuses on the natural world, simplicity, and the importance of balancing opposing forces like yin and yang. Taoism also emphasizes individualism and the idea of becoming one with the Tao through meditation and mindfulness practices. Buddhism, on the other hand, is a religion that originated in ancient India and teaches that life is full of suffering, but that suffering can be overcome through the practice of the Eightfold Path and the Four Noble Truths. Buddhism emphasizes the idea of non-attachment and detachment from the material world and the pursuit of enlightenment through meditation and self-reflection. Zen is a school of Buddhism that originated in China and later spread to Japan, Korea and Vietnam. It emphasizes the practice of meditation, mindfulness and the attainment of enlightenment through direct experience rather than through studying scriptures or relying on ritual. Zen is often associated with the practice of sitting meditation or zazen, as well as the use of koans or riddles to help practitioners break through mental barriers and attain a state of awareness beyond words and concepts. So, while all three of these philosophies emphasize mindfulness and self-awareness, 
They each have unique characteristics and practices that make them distinct from one another. So can you share a specific practice or personal ritual that you believed had a significant impact on your life? Ah, now that's an interesting question, isn't it? You see, I've always believed that spiritual growth is a deeply personal and individual journey. What works for one person may not work for another, and so it's important to find practices and rituals that resonate with your own unique needs and experiences. That being said, there is one practice that I found particularly impactful in my own spiritual journey, and that is the practice of meditation. Meditation has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember. It's a practice that I've found to be incredibly grounding and centering, and has helped me to cultivate a deep sense of inner peace and contentment. For me, meditation is not about trying to achieve some sort of transcendental state or escape from reality. Rather, it's about learning to be present with whatever is happening in the moment, to cultivate a sense of awareness and equanimity in the face of life's ups and downs. Of course, meditation is not a one-size-fits-all practice. What works for me may not work for everyone. But I believe that there is value in exploring different spiritual practices and finding the ones that resonate with our own unique needs and experiences. Ultimately, the key to spiritual growth is not in the practice itself, but in the willingness to be open and receptive to the mysteries of existence. It's about recognizing our interconnectedness with all things and living in a way that is grounded in love, compassion and understanding. So how do you think your teachings evolved over the course of your life? Well, I must say that my teachings have certainly evolved over the course of my life. You see, I never saw myself as a guru or a spiritual leader. I was simply a seeker, someone who was deeply curious about the mysteries of existence. And so, as I explored different spiritual traditions and philosophies, my own understanding of the nature of reality began to shift and expand. I began to see the interconnectedness of all things in a new light and to recognize the limitations of language and conceptual thinking in describing the ineffable. As my understanding evolved, so too did my teachings. I began to speak more openly and directly about the nature of existence and to emphasize the importance of living in the present moment and embracing the mystery of life. But even as my teachings evolved, there were certain core principles that remained constant. Principles such as the recognition of our interconnectedness with all things, the importance of living in harmony with nature, and the need to cultivate a sense of inner peace and contentment. I never saw my teachings as something fixed or dogmatic. Rather, they were always evolving and adapting to the changing needs and experiences of myself and my students. And so, I believe that my teachings will continue to evolve and adapt as new generations of seekers come to explore the mysteries of existence. The quest for understanding is an endless one, and there is always more to be discovered and explored. Can you discuss a little bit about the role of humour in your teachings? In my teachings, I often used humour to point to the contradictions and paradoxes of life, to highlight the ways in which we can get trapped in our own limited thinking, and to encourage a more expansive, open-minded approach to reality. Humour, as a way of breaking down barriers and defying categorization, allowing us to see the world in a new light and to embrace the mystery and wonder of existence. It can be a way to find joy and laughter in even the most challenging of circumstances and to connect with others in a deep and meaningful way. Of course, humour is not always appropriate or effective. There are times when a more serious or contemplative approach is needed. But I believe that humour can be an incredibly powerful tool for awakening and that we should not be afraid to use it in our spiritual practice. Ultimately, 
Enlightenment is not about taking ourselves too seriously or trying to become something other than who we are. It's about embracing the fullness and richness of life with all its joys and sorrows and recognizing the interconnectedness of all things. And if we can do that with a sense of humor and playfulness, all the better. So can you tell us uh, about a specific experience or moment that deeply influenced your philosophical beliefs and teachings? When I was a young man, I had a profound mystical experience while hiking in the Himalayas. As I stood atop a mountain peak, gazing out at the expansive view of the surrounding landscape, I suddenly felt as though I was one with everything around me. The boundaries between my own identity and the external world seemed to dissolve, and I felt a deep sense of interconnectedness with all of existence. This experience opened my eyes to the idea that there is a fundamental unity underlying all of reality. It inspired me to study Eastern philosophy and spirituality, and to eventually become a teacher and writer on these topics. Throughout my life, I continued to have similar experiences that reinforced this idea of oneness and helped me to develop a more expansive and holistic worldview. Ultimately, this experience and the insights that followed from it are what led me to devote my life to helping others find a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in their own lives. So how does one strike a balance between pursuing spiritual growth and living in the material world? You see, many people believe that in order to pursue spiritual growth, one must completely withdraw from the material world and live as an ascetic, renouncing all worldly possessions and pleasures. However, I believe that this is a misguided view. You see, the material world is not separate from the spiritual world. They are two sides of the same coin. To be fully alive and present in the world, we must learn to appreciate and enjoy the material aspects of life while also recognizing their impermanence and transience. The key is to cultivate a sense of detachment from material possessions and desires rather than completely renouncing them. This allows us to fully experience and appreciate the beauty of the world without becoming overly attached or identified with it. Ultimately, it is a matter of balance. We must learn to live in the world while also recognizing that our true nature is beyond the world. By doing so, we can find a deeper sense of meaning and purpose in our lives and become more fully integrated with the universe as a whole. So when I turned 30, I had a bit of an existential crisis and really started to sort of fear death in a new way. Um, so change my mind, Alan Watts. What am, I, what am I doing wrong? My dear friend, the fear of death is natural and it is something that we all experience at some point in our lives. But the key to overcoming this fear is to understand that death is not an end, but rather a natural part of the cycle of life. Death is not something to be feared, but rather something to be embraced as a part of the natural order of things. In many ways, death is like the darkness that comes before the dawn. It may seem scary and unknown, but it is also the beginning of something new and beautiful. Just as the darkness gives way to the light of a new day, death gives way to a new beginning. So, my dear friend, I urge you to embrace the fear of death, to face it head on, and to understand that it is not something to be feared, but rather something to be celebrated. Remember, life is a journey, and death is simply the next step on that journey. Embrace it, and you will find that it is not so scary after all. So, can you speak a little bit to your understanding of existential anxiety? You see, I believe that existential anxiety is an inevitable part of the human experience. It's a natural response to the recognition of our own mortality and the uncertainty of existence. So, how do we deal with this anxiety? Well, I believe that the key is to shift our perspective to stop seeing ourselves as isolated individuals and to recognize our interconnectedness with all things. 
You see, when we feel anxious or alone, it's often because we are too focused on ourselves. We are too wrapped up in our own thoughts and fears, and we lose sight of the bigger picture. But when we step back and recognize the interconnectedness of all things, the way in which we are all part of a larger whole, we begin to see our place in the universe in a new verse, in a new light. We begin to recognize that our lives are not just about ourselves, but about something much greater. Of course, this is easier said than done. It takes practice and a willingness to shift our perspective. But I believe that it's possible for anyone to cultivate this awareness and learn to live in a way that is free from existential anxiety. So my advice to anyone struggling with feelings of existential anxiety is this. Embrace the mystery of existence. Recognize your interconnectedness with all things and live in the present moment. By doing so, you will find a sense of peace and contentment that transcends the fleeting anxieties of life. Reminds me in a way of your lecture on living fully now. Uh, would you just paraphrase that to anyone unfamiliar with that lecture you did? Certainly. The sentiment behind living fully now is all about embracing the present moment and experiencing life to the fullest, rather than constantly living in the past or the future. Too often, we get caught up in regrets about the past or anxieties about the future, and we forget to appreciate the beauty and richness of the present moment. But the truth is that the present moment is all we ever truly have. The past is gone and the future is uncertain. So if we want to live a rich and fulfilling life, we must learn to embrace the present moment with all its joys and challenges. We must learn to let go of our regrets and fears and to fully immerse ourselves in the experience of life. This means being fully present in our interactions with others, savoring the simple pleasures of life and cultivating a sense of gratitude for all that we have. It means taking risks, following our passions and living with a sense of purpose and meaning. Ultimately, the key to living fully now is to recognize that life is a precious and fleeting gift and to make the most of every moment we are given. So let us embrace the present moment with open hearts and open minds and truly experience the wonder and beauty of this incredible journey we call life. So can you briefly discuss your views on the nature of reality and the self? In my understanding, reality is not something that can be objectively known or understood. Instead, it is something that is constantly changing and evolving. The self, too, is not a fixed and unchanging entity, but rather a fluid and ever-changing process but rather a fluid and ever-changing process. In this sense, the self is not separate from the world, but is intimately connected to it. In other words, there is no fundamental difference between the self and the universe. We are not separate entities, but rather expressions of the same underlying reality. This realization can lead to a profound sense of interconnectedness and unity with the world around us. And how do you approach the concept of ego in your teachings? At its core, the ego is the sense of self that we all have, the I that we use to navigate the world around us. But the problem is that we often become overly attached to this sense of self, identifying ourselves with our thoughts, feelings and experiences, rather than recognizing that we are part of a larger whole. In my teachings, I emphasize the importance of recognizing the illusory nature of the ego and learning to see ourselves as part of the greater whole. This means letting go of our attachment to our own self-importance and learning to live in harmony with the world around us. But it's important to note that I am not advocating for the complete eradication of the ego. After all, it is an essential part of our psychological makeup. Rather, I am suggesting that we learn to keep our ego in its proper place, recognizing it as just one aspect of our being, rather than allowing it to dominate our thoughts and actions. Nicely put. 
So the next question is about psychedelic experiences. Can you speak to the role of psychedelics in your personal spiritual journey and how they informed your teachings? Uh, psychedelics. Now, there's a topic that often raises some eyebrows. You see, for many people, these substances are associated with the counterculture of the 1960s or with reckless and dangerous behavior. But in my view, these substances have an important role to play in the exploration of consciousness and the expansion of our understanding of the world. Now, let me be clear. I'm not advocating for the indiscriminate use of psychedelics, nor am I suggesting that they are a magic solution to all of life's problems. But I do believe that, when used in a responsible and intentional way, these substances can help us to access states of consciousness that are otherwise difficult or impossible to achieve. For example, through the use of psychedelics, we can experience profound feelings of interconnectedness with the natural world, as well as a sense of ego dissolution that can be transformative in terms of our understanding of the self and the world. These experiences can help us to break down the barriers that separate us from one another and from the natural world, and to develop a more compassionate and empathetic worldview. Of course, these experiences are not without their risks, and it's important to approach the use of psychedelics with caution and respect. But in my view, when used in a responsible and intentional way, these substances have the potential to be powerful tools for personal and spiritual growth. So the last guest on the podcast was Stanley Kubrick. Uh, he's left a question here for you. Uh, Alan, you've spoken extensively about the interconnectedness of all things and the idea that we are part of a larger cosmic whole. As a filmmaker, I'm fascinated by the power of storytelling to connect people across cultures and generations and to inspire empathy and understanding. How do you see the role of storytelling to help us recognize our interconnectedness and find meaning and purpose in a seemingly chaotic world? Well, Stanley, I believe that storytelling is an incredibly powerful tool for helping us to recognize our interconnectedness and find meaning and purpose in life. You see, stories have been used by humans for thousands of years to convey deep truths and insights about the nature of existence. At their core, stories are a way of exploring the human experience, of sharing our joys and sorrows, our triumphs and struggles, and our deepest hopes and fears, and in doing so, they help us to recognize that, despite our many differences, we are all connected by our shared experiences of love, loss, and the search for meaning and purpose. Through storytelling, we can gain a deeper understanding of the human condition and learn to empathize with the experiences of others, even those from vastly different cultures or time periods. This can help to break down barriers of misunderstanding and mistrust and bring us closer together as a global community. But, perhaps most importantly, Storytelling can help us to find meaning and purpose in a seemingly chaotic and unpredictable world. By sharing stories of heroism, compassion, and the triumph of the human spirit, we can inspire ourselves and others to strive for greatness and to work towards a brighter future for all. So I believe that storytelling is an essential part of the human experience and has the power to connect us all in ways that transcend time and space. And as such, it is a tool that we should use with care and intention to help create a more just, compassionate and enlightened world for all. So our next guest on the podcast is going to be James Lipton from Inside the Actors Studio. Do you have any questions for James? Ah, the prospect of conversing with the illustrious James Lipton, the oracle of the thespian world, is a delightful one indeed. Were I to be offered such a privilege, I would not waste it on a question of superficiality, but rather use it to probe the depths of his unique wisdom and insight. 
Mine eyes meeting his, I'd ask, James, over the years you've had the privilege of delving into the minds of some of the world's greatest actors. You've seen their passion, their technique, their fears and hopes, their moments of triumph and of despair. These artists who've mastered the art of becoming have transformed themselves for each role, transcending their own identities in service of the story. So my question to you is this. Through your unique lens, having witnessed countless metamorphoses, what have you learned about the human ability to transform, to evolve, to become? And how can we apply these lessons from the stage of acting to the grand stage of life? How can we, in our own lives, learn to inhabit our roles so fully, yet also know when to step back, to shed those roles when they no longer serve us, much like an actor exiting a stage? Do you think we, in our everyday lives, are capable of the same depth of transformation that actors achieve on stage, or are we forever confined by the script of our personal narratives? After all, we are all actors in the drama of life, are we not? Do you have any advice for young people starting out in life to have a life they can be proud of, or a career that they could be proud of? My advice is to approach life with a sense of curiosity and wonder, and to be open to new experiences and opportunities. Too often we get caught up in the idea of what we should be doing or what others expect of us. But true fulfillment and success come from following your own path and being true to your own inner calling. So my advice is to take risks, to try new things and to follow your passions, even if they don't fit into the traditional mold of what a successful career or life looks like. Remember that life is an adventure and that the greatest reward comes not from achieving a specific goal, but from the journey itself. And finally, I would say that it's important to stay connected to the larger picture of life, to recognize that we are all part of a larger cosmic whole and that our individual journeys are ultimately connected to the journey of humanity as a whole. By keeping this perspective in mind, we can find deeper meaning and purpose in our lives and make a positive impact on the world around us. And finally, if you could say one thing to the world of today, what would it be? If there is one message that I would want to impart to the world of today, it would be this. You are not separate from the world around you, but are intimately connected to it in every way. Your actions, thoughts and feelings ripple out into the world and have an impact on the lives of others and the environment in which you live. Therefore, it is important to cultivate a deep sense of empathy and compassion for all beings and to recognize that we are all in this together. Instead of focusing solely on our own individual needs and desires, we must work together to create a more just, equitable and sustainable world for everyone and help to bring about a more enlightened and awakened society. Alan Watts, thank you. You're welcome. It was my pleasure to share my thoughts with you. Thank you for joining us in this unique deep dive into the life of Alan Watts. I appreciate your time and support. This has been the Ghost in the Machine podcast. Please check us out on social media. Until next time.